You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Are you a diehard comic book collector? Or maybe a lapsed fan? Maybe even someone who has never picked up a comic book in their life. Hi, I'm Remso Martinez. And I'm Mark Clare. Every single Wednesday at the Second Print Comics Podcast, Remzo and I take a deep dive into the storylines, character arcs, moments, and events that made us the fans we are today. Tune in every Wednesday for new episodes available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and wherever else podcasts are available. Check out more from the Second Print Comics podcast at secondprintcomics.com. Prepare yourself. You're on the run with Remzo W. Martinez. What in fresh hell happens to the world when I am gone? You know, I can I can see the future. I don't know if you knew that superpower about me, but I can see the future. I am recording this in the past, but I know that by the time this episode is released, we'll be complaining and screaming about something else. Much like everyone was an expert on vaccines, now everyone is an expert on foreign policy, and we're probably going to be an expert on something else. Everyone became like a racial mediator last year. You get tired of it? You you get tired of, you know, having to jump into these things, and, you you know, nothing you say or do really has much of an impact on it, but your your friends are going to talk about it. And I know, if you're listening to this show, you always want to be the smartest one in the room. Let's go ahead and sidestep for a minute, because we don't talk about that stuff on this show. Let's talk about stuff to make you money, because we can go, of course, talk about that. Remember, this is the world's worst financial, not financial show, as much as we're the world's worst travel show about travel, not really about travel. So remember, everything you hear on this show is for fun and entertainment and formative purposes only. I'm only talking about the things that I try and do, and in most cases do all right at even when i don't do all right i'm at least gonna tell you so you know what not to do because i done did it i done messed up on a lot of things so that way hopefully you can make better decisions i don't know if my old intern benjamin is listening to this 
because he has better things to do with his life. But I have tried to uh, be the type of supervisor that I wanted when I was an intern, and I think I did adequately with him. And uh, I gave him a lot of advice. A lot of it was how not to get arrested for things these days that would have gotten, uh, you know, n- nobody would have cared about earlier, like not wearing masks in the businesses. They're like, yeah, baby, it's good. And you got the libertarians, you're like, well, it's the private property and all this other stuff. But, um, you know, st- stuff like uh, Gulf of Tonkin was was faked and uh, the CIA created the Taliban. And I highly doubt it was just an angry Marine who shot JFK, stuff like that. But what I did give him advice on was something, um, you know, that, that wasn't one of those things I usually ranted about. When I say I'm giving you advice, I really do look you in the eyes, sit you down and say, this is genuine advice I wish I had when I was your age. And, uh, you know, he's a youngster in the workforce, and we were talking about money or something because he's, he's going to be going off and doing other things. He's still in college. And I told him, Benjamin, if there's one thing that I wish that I knew when I was 20, it was the two biggest uh, factors in the world that will ultimately contribute to easy money over time accumulating without you having to do much about it other than regularly contributing dollar cost averaging into it at a steady rate. Time and compound interest. Yes, folks, I told him about the thing that will ultimately tell you whether or not you've officially transferred into adulthood. I told him about the Roth IRA, a magical, magical Roth IRA. And I said, Benjamin, if I had invested $100 a month into a Roth IRA at the age of 20, I would be doing very, very well right now, and future me would be doing very, very well later. And what did he do? He actually took my advice on that, and he went ahead and opened a Roth IRA. And not only did he do that, but he did his research as to why the Roth IRA is so amazing, and he convinced two of his cousins, who are a little bit older than him, but still younger than me, to go ahead and open a Roth IRA as well. You see, folks, I don't have the answers to the universe. I'm not a subject matter expert on much. But what I do know is that the few things we can control, we should be proactive in. The only person that's going to go ahead and do anything for you in life is ultimately going to be you. Not to get all Tony Robbins on this, but I wanted to go ahead and uh, take us back into really what the focus of their on-the-run mindset is, which is being on the run from institutions and bad ideas that make your life less free. Because there's a lot we can't control in the world, but we can certainly control a little bit right now. If you're a listener of this show, hopefully you're enjoying some of the other programs here on the We Are Libertarians Network. We all have a little fun group because our other group got zucked uh, way under back in... April, I think. So we had to go ahead and get crafty. We have a private group on Facebook for fans of the show. It's called Not Walnuts. Not, N-O-T, Wall, W-A-L, We Are Libertarians. Nuts, Not Walnuts. Because it's not the same group that got zucked. It's it's not it's not walnuts. So if if uh, if you want to hang out with walnuts and online, we are not walnuts. Go ahead and join the not walnuts Facebook group. It's got a few hundred people there, and it's a lot of fun getting to hang out with me, other hosts, fans, 
Uh, we've got a little motley crew of uh, people talking about all types of things over there. It's it's one of my favorite groups on the interwebs, especially on Facebook. But I went ahead and asked a couple questions over the past week, uh, all of them finance related, because I went ahead and made some financial decisions recently, because some of you may know that I am getting married. So now I have to not just factor me, now I have to factor in we, because things are going to change. I'm not solely in charge of my money once I go ahead and put on that that ring. And uh, now I'm also responsible for somebody else. So, uh, you know, and, and she also carries my burdens with her because that's what being married is about. So I'm getting ready for when we eventually do that. Uh, we have a, we have a fun plan set up. So you'll, you'll learn when everyone else does when, uh, when, when me as, as a, as a, just a, a boy becoming a man eventually, uh, ties the knot. But, um, you know, so far the, the past year and a half has been insane for me money wise. Uh, I made, a lot of good decisions. And, uh, I don't say that to boast. I, I don't think I got lucky. I just took some bad situations and I realized that the only person that's going to get me out of these situations is myself. And I went for people who are reputable and who aren't trying to scam me. And I took their advice. I did the research and I tightened my belt and I took on extra jobs and gigs and stuff like that. And I saved, 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 and I worked, worked, worked. And even though, I had um, a, a situation where one of my old employers, the Washington Times, did not claim my uh, my federal taxes, despite the fact that they were taking out my federal income taxes. They they refused to take any uh, you know any liability for that. They basically said, "Well, whatever. Here's your W two. We took your money, and you're still going to have to go ahead and pay it back." So I paid twice the federal taxes in in 2020. Um, than I should have. So I, I had to give the feds a big chunk of change because of that. But before that, because the Washington Times loved us, they also cut our um, our salaries by 10%. And as I have heard from current employees there, they were so generous to give back 5% after about a year. And employees looked at that and said, oh, thank you. And then half of them quit and went to Fox News. So there was that. Uh, I found myself getting a another job at a place with a French name that we don't talk about where I was making twice the salary. And I, you know, that, that whole situation turned out to be twice the trouble. So by the end of 2020, I was unemployed and immediately went back into consulting and private contracting where luckily I was able to, to keep things moving. And, uh, I still needed to work. So I was applying for jobs when clients weren't coming up like they used to. I took a $15 an hour minimum wage job, um, working in a warehouse, but Meanwhile, I was still saving money. Uh, I didn't even really need to tap into my emergency fund, and I was still putting money into my Roth IRA and another mutual fund throughout that period of unemployment. So my net worth actually doubled within one year. Despite all the shittiness, it, it, it doubled, and I am doing very well for somebody my age. Uh, even at this point. So 
you know, I don't say this as somebody who has not made mistakes and somebody who, you know, is, is a millionaire. I'm not. But what I am is somebody who was able to go through a lot of shitty situations. And you, you, you all have listened to me in the past. If you've heard me on this show talk about it, like I left college dirt broke. And for many years, I was still dirt broke until... I was able to get my career in sync with my ambitions. I was given a great opportunity. And after that, I realized I can't control much in the world, but I can control me. And hopefully, if I can help anybody make their lives better, that's what I want to do. And without having to really sell my intern on the idea of a Roth IRA, I just told him if I had done, if I could go back in time and tell myself right now, I'd tell myself, don't go out with that brunette. She's bad news. But I would also tell myself, open up a Roth IRA, put a hundred bucks in. You know, you could put in a hundred dollars a month despite even your worst financial circumstances. So uh, I know that at the age of 20, he's going to be putting in about a hundred dollars a month. He's going to be doing very well. He's going to be doing extremely well, and I'm so proud of him. But anyway, over in the Not Walnuts group, I went ahead and asked a question. What investment advice do you wish you had given yourself when you left high school? And I shared a post from The Motley Fool, uh, one of my favorite financial sites, that says, dollar cost average for life, and you'll beat almost everyone who doesn't. So that was the prompt. And then I asked the question, what investment advice do you wish you had given yourself when you left high school. And we got some good responses. I'm going to go down through those. One of them was don't smoke pot. There's a joke in there somewhere, but that, that that's, that's pretty good advice. Uh, we can go ahead and expound upon that. Don't just waste your money on things that are fleeting. So that, that, that was one. That was a good answer. Uh, this one came from Benjamin Rogers. Invest immediately. Get an account set up and start throwing money into broad index funds no matter what amount you can initially afford. Uh, com- completely agree. You know, for most mutual funds, I think what you need to get started is about $500. And if you want to go ahead and set up automatic uh, reoccurring payments um, through a brokerage, it's usually about like 50 bucks a month to get started. But, you know, I think uh, I think that's great. Broad index funds are just a giant basket of the top one of the, I'm sorry, not top 100, top, the top companies, it, it could be a lot of companies within the S&P 500. Maybe it's 500. I don't actually know that. All I know is invest in the spiders and invest in the VTIs, the VUs, the SPHDs, invest in the um, S&P 500, all, the, all those things that are usually tied up to a target date retirement fund, and uh, you'll, you'll be doing pretty well. So that that is one of the things that you can just do because you you keep you keep putting in money every month. I'm gonna sound so stupid. I'm sorry. I'm just thinking about that. Somebody's gonna be like, "He's giving advice." I'm gonna sue him. He has to know how many companies are in the FMP 500. It's late, motherfucker. You get what I mean. Um, this is not a financial financial show. Uh, but anyway, yeah. Um, I, I wish I had done that. I didn't know anything about investing. The advice I got from my parents was. Um, just save enough money to retire on. But that may have worked in a time where inflation was not as rampant as it has been. And when you could park money in a CD or a high interest savings account, and you can actually save your way to retirement and building wealth. But that's just not the case anymore. Cash is a liability. 
and uh, it, the the old the old tried and true methods of you know saving your way to wealth and retirement is just it's just not the case anymore. Millennials understand that, especially since Social Security is officially going to run out of cash in a couple of years, and then we're going to go ahead and have to take from something else. So the credit and debt just just doesn't end. It's just going to keep pulling from somebody else. So we're going to rob Peter, pay Paul, and it's it's not going to work. But by uh, investing in, in things that are reliable, such as a broad index fund, anything that you know taps into the S and P five hundred, um, you're you're going to be doing pretty well at. And um, somebody replied. Uh, this person went ahead and responded. I was going to help my kiddo out, but he got four hundred one k with his first job, and he's like nineteen. And that that's freaking fantastic. If if a you know, if you can start doing anything to push off your tax liability as well as, you know, get, get investing, uh, the earlier the better. I think somebody did the math. They said if my parents had put, um, I think it was $100 a month into a mutual fund when I was born or, or when they knew I was going to be born, instead of saving up for a college fund, I would have had like a million dollars by the time I was 27. And, uh, I mean, time and compound interest, baby, that's, that's all you need to do. And uh, I'm, I'm happy to see that people were responding to that in here. But let me see. Somebody else responded, you're going to have plenty of incentives to invest in security. So don't forget to diversify with tangible assets like precious metals and real estate, uh, ones you actually own, not some metal ETF or REITs. And, and that's another thing. I mean, you, you got you to gotta diversify what you have your money into, you know, whether you're more bullish on something else or not, like it's just good to, to have that exposure for both the gains and the protection of your money. I actually bought my first um, gold bar recently. I think it was like, um, I don't know if it was like half a gram. It's small. I paid more in the premium than the gold is is kind of worth. But, you know, I've been taught, you know, I've always been a supporter of owning precious metals and stuff like that. And I was like, I don't really own one. So I went over to Amex and I went ahead and bought a small gold bar and it's uh, it's sitting in a, in a protected place somewhere. And I'm like, that's nice. I own, I own gold and it's just going to sit here. And, you know, I, I know for a lot of the crypto people, you're like, gold is worthless and everything else. And the gold people are like, well, you know, crypto is not real, but man, listen, just, just put your money in a bunch of things. And just just trust that you know you're, you're making the right decision by having good exposure to different sectors, to different assets, to different things. You're you're going to set yourself up for uh, for better returns and protection later on. It's all about just protecting your 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 capital as well as your gains. And uh, Trisha Stewart Mann from Gingerarchy, she went ahead. Um, great show over there. I was on it recently, and we talked about aliens because why not? Talk about aliens with your friends. She went ahead and hit it on the head. She said, if they match a 401k, hit it hard. I cannot tell you how many friends don't know if their employers have a 401k matching plan. Most employers do these days, and it's just automatic. So they take out X percent of your uh paycheck and they go ahead and match it. Yeah, I still know people who decided not to do that because they wanted to keep the cash. And it's like, come on, man, you put the pre-tax money in the 401k, your employer gives you free money, it it grows over time. Like, how is how how is how is that a hard hard thing for you? You don't need that extra like, you know, in some cases like 2-3% in 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 cash to go blow it on something. I mean, they're they're giving you they're giving you free money, and you're also investing in yourself. Why wouldn't you pay yourself first? Why don't you Why don't you invest in Team U? 
that's uh that's I, I, I don't get it. So yeah, if you don't know, now you know, brother. Uh, Hody Johns from Enemy of My Enemy, another fantastic show. Oh my God, we've got some smart, smart, beautiful people on this network. Uh, go directly into the workforce, save up for a house, and then save up for a second, third, and fourth, and rent them out, and never tell the truth on your taxes. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll leave that. I'll leave that there. And then Justin Mitchell, obviously a crypto uh, aficionado, all in on Come Rocket to the moon. So we had some uh, we we had some some good insights here. Had some very good insights, and I followed up with another question after that. Uh, do you believe we are in a financial bubble? Nathaniel Johnson replied, sort of. I wouldn't say an overall financial bubble, but definitely a liquidity bubble combined with lower than normal monetary velocity, which part of why banks are going heavy on reverse repo market right now. What he's basically saying to, to spell that out for people like me with a Reader's Digest reading comprehension level, um, a lot of people who had cash because they weren't going out or because they got those stimulus checks, got into investing for the first time, and they invested harder and way more than a lot of companies that are publicly traded anticipated. And because of that, things are overvalued that typically wouldn't be. And it has less to do with speculators predicting things are going to do better, but it has to do with the fact that they didn't predict that this much cash would be, you know, pushed into the market to begin with, so it's moving sideways. Less because of speculation, more because you've got more people getting involved and you've got more money than typically being traded by middle class and working class people getting involved, and they don't know how to anticipate it. Nick Nolte also replied in the comments, uh, nobody knows until after it pops. Very true, unless you're a Michael Burry. He was the guy who went, who was... Uh, I think he's the main character in that movie, The Big Short. Um, he predicted the 2008 financial crisis because he was like, we're giving a lot of homes away to people who can't pay back these loans and mortgages. And I don't think this is going to work out. Um, but he continues, I was told Bitcoin was in a bubble when it was at 7K and zoom out a little bit. And that was a super low price. History is the only thing that can say whether it's a bubble or not. And that goes back to that Motley Crue um, post I mentioned earlier, dollar cost average for life and you'll always win. So we've got a lot of really smart people in the Not Walnuts uh, group on Facebook. Definitely engage. I'm going to be throwing out more questions on there. And um, really, I'm glad that the libertarian movement has, for the most part, kind of figured out that, you know, we're not going to destroy the Federal Reserve. It's there. We're not going to go ahead and really bring down the war machine or ever, or anything else. Um, there's a lot of things that we can do. Uh, the future is local. We can take over our school boards. Take over your HOA if you want. Uh, we could take back our cities and states. And over time, maybe that could chip away at the machine in Washington. But for the most part, it's got to be local. And even more than that, it's got to start with you being a freer and more well-off person. You know, being happier, being healthier, being financially better is going to give you more options. And really, if if the pandemic has taught us something, it's that if you don't have access to cash flow, if you, I mean, if you can't work anywhere in the world, if you don't have freedom to move, and if you don't have 
you know, different streams of income coming in to help you in shitty positions. So that way, when you lose your job, you still have, you know, regular, you know, regular checks and stuff coming in. You don't have to worry about a freaking stimulus check. You know how many libertarians told me they were happy they got stimulus checks? It's a little bit hypocritical. Now, don't get me wrong. I kept mine. I saved, uh, used it mainly to pay taxes, which is crazy. They they inflate the money supply, they tax you, then they give you a little bit back, and then you, I basically gave it back. So it was just a giant switcheroo. That's what uh, you know. That's what millions of us basically did. We just we just gave it back in taxes. But um, you know, I, I don't claim to be a, a financial expert, as I've said for the millionth time. But I do look to those who are. Um, over at my newsletter, remso. I'm sorry, remso.substack.com. It's the on the run newsletter for the show. I put out stuff two, three times a week. I'm usually putting out um, financial advice in the crypto market, investments, other things like that. So you understand where I'm getting my news, commentary, and insights for the things that are influencing what's on my mind and what I'm paying attention to. And I often go ahead and include stuff from Ramsey from Ramsey Solutions in my recommended reading section. Uh, I've said it a million times, I'll say it a million times more, uh, Dave Ramsey, if you don't regularly pay attention to what's going on at Ramsey Solutions, you should, because if you want to get out of debt, if you want to grow wealth, if you want to be a financially savvy person, I don't know why you wouldn't go to Dave Ramsey. And I'm pretty sure I'm the only person on the wall network who is a Dave Ramsey fan. Um, but you know, to my, to the, to the haters credit, um, Dave Ramsey's not right about everything. He's right about most everything, but there are some things that uh, him and I disagree on. Now, remember, and I'm not claiming to be on Dave Ramsey's level at all. He's a multimillionaire, and I am me talking to you in a one-bedroom apartment. So please uh, get your advice from a lot of places and come to your own decisions. But one thing that has you know proven positive for me that Dave Ramsey does not like is single stocks. I invest in single stocks, but I do not invest primarily in single stocks. Let me just give you a breakdown. I'm not going to go into what specific things I invest in, but I'll talk about the types. I have an emergency fund, which is the cash for when life happens and I need cash on hand. Uh, So that's just cash. From there, what I have my money invested into is a uh, 401k, matching 401k with my employer. So that's one, that's a 401k. So that's pre-taxed money that I'm going to access upon retirement. I'm going to pay the taxes on everything when it comes out, but for now it can grow and grow and grow because of time and compound interest and you know get, get real big and juicy for me. On top of that, I also try and max out my Roth IRA contributions, which I'm, Roth IRA is even better because it's post-taxed money, which means they're not going to take much more taxes out of it until I got to pay a little bit um, when I retire. And I could even, if let's say, you know, emergency savings and stuff, like I was in a real shit show, I could take out what I put into it without touching the gains and everything else, and I'll just pay a fee. So, I mean, a Roth IRA is your friend. I, I really emphasize max out that 6000 a year. Um, even if you can't, like, you should put as much in there because, uh, you know, like Roth IRAs are what turn your average American into a millionaire. It, it's proven all the time. People are retiring millionaires 
because of Roth IRAs primarily, not even 401ks. We can get into you know why why 401k should not be your only um, retirement plan, but you know Roth IRAs are freaking strong. They are freaking freaking strong. So max out that uh, Roth IRA. That Roth IRA is always my priority every year. Maxing out that six thousand dollar contribution. So I've got the 401k that I'm paying to the max uh, with my matching contribution from my employer. I got my uh, Roth IRA that I'm contributing the max six thousand to every year, like everyone should if they have one. And then I've got uh, another mutual fund. There's a taxable mutual fund um, that I invest a small amount into every month. Um, that's just there for me to get a little extra exposure to certain things. Uh, it's uh, it's a more conservative growth strategy. Um, it's a target. It's another target date mutual fund, but it's a. Uh, I have it set for a few years before I retire, and I'm paying the taxes on it because any day now, you know, if I was like I want to, I want to cash out, I could do that. That's the purpose of that mutual fund. So that that is taxable. I'm putting um, a certain amount into it automatically every month, and so far, like I, I, I didn't intend. I, I don't even think the prospectus told me this. I think it was predicting, uh, you know, a, a pretty good return. But like in 2020. Uh, when I started it to now, it has grown 25% just from its value and, and dividend reinvestment. So like I, I I got lucky with that, picking that one. That was the first time I really intentionally was like, I want this mutual fund. And then after that, I got a little bit smarter with my Roth IRA and everything else. So got the 401k, got the Roth IRA, got my other mutual fund. And then what I have is I have my Robinhood and Weeble accounts which uh, is where I'm putting money that, and I only touch it after I have contributed the, the full amount to my Roth IRA. This is all the extra money. And this is where I have my dividend, uh, I call it my dividend tree. I only invest in good, reliable stocks that have a good dividend and I make money as I sleep. And that's, you know, I, I freaking love my Robinhood account. I basically created an index fund from scratch and uh, follow that strategy in order to become primarily a dividend investor, which has just uh, done remarkable for me. I, I got over a 27% return in uh, 2020, and it, it's doing even better now, despite the, the sideways way that um, the the stock market is going. And uh, you know, I, I I invest in individual companies, I invest in REITs, I invest in ETFs. Um, I'm you know. I'm I'm doing what most most people are doing when they want to invest. I, I want good companies that can go ahead and pay me back cash. So those are the things that I do, and I'm doing some of the things that Dave Ramsey says you need to do, and I'm doing some things where it's like I'm willing to take more risk on that. And uh, you know, I get why Dave Ramsey is against single stocks. I get why he's against a lot of these things. the The mindset really behind Ramsey Solutions and the Dave Ramsey school of thought beyond just how to get out of debt. In terms of investing, everything that he does is behavioral based. And, and let's look at the debt part. The snowball method is different than the avalanche method. And he advocates for the snowball method, which will involve you paying more money 
off over time versus the avalanche method where you pay off, where, where you pay less money over time, not because he's dumb, but because he understands behavior. And when you understand this, you understand everything else about Ramsey Solutions. So Snowball, for those of you that don't know, his uh, get out of debt strategy is pay off the smallest debt first. And eventually, as you're eliminating more and more of those debts and bills, you're eventually going to pay off the largest debt you have. Now, most people would be like, well, don't I want to pay off the stuff that has the largest interest? Yes. But what he has found through many studies that have been backed up by many other people is that people that started with the snowball method and saw those small victories that kept climbing, climbing, climbing to bigger victories, even though they paid more over time because they were paying the interest longer and higher in some cases, they were more likely to get out of debt and stay out of debt. Whereas with Avalanche, where you're targeting the interest first, um, you know, that, uh, that, that was a bit riskier for people. So everything Dave Ramsey does is meant to pull away people from impulsive behavior. When you're dollar cost averaging, when you're contributing to good growth stock mutual funds and your 401k and stuff every month, you're, you're picking these, these investments that have a giant basket of companies that do well, and you don't have to learn about their perspective. You don't need to know about their PE ratios. You don't need to learn about their dividend uh, yield and stuff like that. You don't have to learn anything. You just have to trust that they work and that they will um, you know, meet with the S&P 500 standards and exceed them over time, and that's how you become a millionaire. Uh, the thing is, though, is that those mutual funds, people don't really know which ones they are, if they really exist. And, you know, it's it's one of those situations where it's like, you know, if you're investing into your retirement accounts and everything else and you want to invest in other companies, you I think you should be able to invest in single stocks. Now, his thing is, well, you don't have time to figure it out. You don't want to go all in on a company. Uh, you know, you're not trading. You know, you don't want to get into trading and selling and everything else. And it's like, well, yeah, I mean, you don't want to do that. But at the same time, it all goes into behavior. He thinks if you get exposed to single stocks, you're going to end up, um, you know, just completely sabotaging yourself. So what he usually says to people when they need to pay off debt and they're asking, do I need to sell the single stocks? Um you know, he says, sell the single single stocks. You'll you'll face the tax repercussions on that for capital gains and stuff. But you gotta get you need the cash to get out of debt. Um, now, for that strategy, there was one period where I I was unemployed, and what I had to do because I was following Ramsey was I did cash out my single stocks, and uh, I used it as basically an additional emergency savings. And when I had a job again, what I did was I put all that money into my next year's uh, Roth IRA contributions. So I had great gains, and if I had just honestly kept the money in there instead of touching it, even though I did have an emergency fund, I was like, well, you know, Dave says if you're unemployed or if you have debt, sell the single stocks. Um, I would have gotten a far better return. And, uh, you know, I don't regret what I did. It felt good to have the money. It gave me incredible peace of mind to know that while I was, I had some cash coming in, I was actively looking for work. I felt better to have more cash on hand. Um, ultimately, I, you know, I, I do often think that I make a mistake by doing that and missing out on the long-term games, uh, gains of a, of, a, of a giant market like what we're seeing right now which may or may not be a bubble. Uh, I can't say one way or another. I just know that I felt like I made the best decision at the time. And overall, I've, I've done well otherwise. 
I don't think it would have made that much of a difference for me. Um, but, uh, I mean, it, I, I get where he's coming from. I mean, he also tells people not to get credit cards or it's like, okay, well, you got to build up credit to get a car and a house. And you'll be like, oh, well, you know, buy a car of cash. And it's like, well, you know, do, do, you, do you really want to put all that down at once and everything else? And I get it. And I, I, uh, I don't use credit cards to be quite honest. Um, I don't. Now I, I have I have credit cards and I will put like a tank of gas or something on there and I have good credit from some large purchases I made but what I did was unlike what a lot of credit card users do I only spend on my credit card what I immediately pay off to prevent paying the interest. Now what he says is well you know it's like a drug you're gonna be impulsive with it you're gonna sabotage yourself with a credit card and it's like well you know maybe I'm one off or something but I've never had credit card debt. Because when I do pay for something with a credit card, I immediately pay it off in cash. So th- that's just me. I, I, don't, I don't even use credit cards for like Sky Miles and stuff like that. I usually know how to find good rates. I, I, I'm, I, I'm fine without the miles and stuff like that. And as you've heard on this show and in my newsletter, I use apps that get me cash back and other perks and discounts and stuff like that. You can get a lot of benef- benefits for, for debit use or, or just paying in cash for stuff. So, I mean... Everything that Dave does is for the best of intentions. And for the most part, what what harms people financially isn't dire financial situations caused by outside factors. It's impulse control. They have poor impulse control. Of course, they're going to spend more on a credit card than if they just stuck to a cash diet where they spend what they have and they have a budget. Of course... Um, you know, people that day trade are almost always going to lose more money in the long run than they'll ever gain. So what, what my philosophy behind my Robinhood and my Weeble and all my single stock um, options that I own is that, um, you know, I, I buy not to trade, but to hold long term. And I only buy companies that I have a good understanding of that also have a reliable dividend that they pay because I want to put my money to work because inflation is eating up my cash otherwise. The interest rates you're getting on your savings accounts are freaking ridiculous. So why do that? And then Dave also says stay away from cryptocurrency. And I get it. And I have done an episode on this show talking about why some people should not invest in Bitcoin and other crypto. Go back and listen to that. But he's like, it's a scam. It's not real. It's like, well, you know, I think that's for people that have bad impulses to invest in things they don't understand because they want to go ahead and jump into a pump and dump. Uh, I own crypto. I've, I've said in the past I didn't own crypto and I advocated against owning crypto because of one thing, mass adoption. And uh, I'll even add a second thing on there. It's the fact that we we need more privacy with where we're spending our money because Big Brother is looking at it. So it means more now than ever before. You need that privacy to exchange means of value for value. And uh, you know now we're seeing broad broad adaption of it. I said on uh, Trisha's show uh, when that was released that I I you know and I know I'm contradicting myself, but I own stock in Coinbase. Because Coinbase will eventually pay a dividend. Coinbase is going to go up. And I only put in what I was willing to put in at the time, and I'm not putting in anymore. I'm very happy with what I put in. That's the one area where I'm like, this can go to a million or zero, man. I don't know where it's going to go, but I don't think it's zero. And I believe in it because Coinbase, as an exchange, is following all the legal procedures to continue to broaden people's access to crypto, exposure to it. And it's 
pushing for mass adoption in the wider market globally. So that's why I got back into crypto. And uh, I put in a good amount and I'm very happy with it. And I don't treat it like an asset. I I treat Bitcoin and Ethereum like an asset. Everything else I use is cash if I'm actually going to pay somebody in crypto or not. Um, If the IRS is listening or not, it's on my wallet. My code, my my keys. So um, <laughs> Dave Dave is like, don't touch it. It's a it's a tulip craze. Um, just it, it's it's a waste of money. It'll go zero. You're you're destroying your life. Why would you do that? So you know, right right there, that's one thing where I, I don't think he's ever going to change his mind on. He's also publicly said that he doesn't own Bitcoin. But anyway, I found this article because I have been listening to my friends who don't like Dave Ramsey for one reason or another. And uh, my philosophy has always been, don't take advice from poor people. <laughs> but, um, you know, they, they do make some valid criticisms. And, you know, some of them I agree with, such as, you know, investing in single stocks and crypto and, and stuff like that. So, like, you know, I love Dave Ramsey, but I don't love everything. And I did find this article from The Motley Fool. It's fool.com. I'll go ahead and include it in the show notes today. It's three things Dave Ramsey gets really wrong about retirement savings. Don't listen to the finance guru about these three issues when planning retirement. This is by Christy Bieber from The Motley Fool. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and read this and just kind of give you my reaction for it. Uh, right off the bat, she goes ahead and provides um, you know, several key points. Uh, one, Dave Ramsey expects an unrealistic return on investment. Two, Ramsey has some misguided advice about choosing investments. Three, his advice for your financial priorities is off. And, um, you know, like, let's, let's understand up front, like when Dave Ramsey's talking about mutual funds, he's like investing good growth stock mutual funds that uh, outperform the S&P 500, which is usually bringing, you know, at least a 10% return every year. Um, I don't know if it was 10% return, 10% gain, something like that. So he's like, just just invest in these giant baskets that are, you know, you, you usually have more direct personal input from a financial advisor and stuff like that and are more manually managed by experts, instead of ETFs and stuff like that. So we're going to get into it. Um, dum, dum, da, dum, dum, dum. Where do I scroll? Here I scroll. All righty. See, folks, I, I, barely, I barely even edit when I'm trying to get off my computer, which is freezing. Okay. Dave Ramsey is a popular personal finance personality. I hate that sentence. Um, And he's got some great advice about paying back debt. But his advice about retirement planning leaves a lot to be desired. Specifically, there are three ways Ramsey is steering his readers and listeners wrong about preparing for their latter years. And advice and the advice he gives on these issues could be costly and damaging. Here are the three worst pieces of retirement advice he gives. One, you should choose mutual funds over ETFs or stocks. Ramsey recommends mutual funds over exchange-traded funds ETFs because, one, mutual funds are designed uh, to be invested in over the long term. Two, it's possible to outperform the market by selecting the right mutual funds. Three, ETFs come with costs, while the fees are usually lower than mutual funds. ETFs don't offer the professional management mutual funds do. Um, she points out what the problem with those three things are. I'll go ahead and give my thoughts. One, yeah, mutual funds are designed to be invested over the long term, but um, also ETFs are. And ETFs offer a larger degree of individual intent versus um, mutual funds. You, you get more options with that. 
you know, like let's look at where's my phone. Let me go ahead and pull up some of the S and P 500 ETFs that I I put money into. So let's see what some some of the different types of stuff right there. Okay, one VTI. What makes this different? Vanguard Total Stock Market ETF. Okay. Then you've got VU, VOO, Vanguard S&P 500 ETF. Then you've got uh, Noble, ProShares S&P 500 Dividend Aristocrats ETF. So this is, done, this is owned by ProShares. It covers the S&P 500, and it covers dis- Dividend Aristocrats, which are people that do not cut their dividends, have been paying their dividends, I think, for more than 25 years, and have solidly grown each time. And then you've got uh, SPYD. Uh, it, this one is SPDR Portfolio S&P 500 High Dividend ETF. Then what do you get? SPHD, ProShare, PowerShares, S&P 500 High Dividend Low Volatility ETF. So what, what you basically need to understand is that like the biggest difference is you get more options and you get into tighter focuses with ETFs. And, um, you know, that, that's what it is. And the difference between a mutual fund and, uh, and an ETF ultimately is you can – um, you, you can trade ETFs like stock, whereas to, with a mutual fund, it's not like that because you're also exposed to bond markets and money markets and stuff like that. And they come with an actively managed strategy. So that way you're building and accumulating wealth over a long period. But then again, you know, the, the same thing is with, with ETFs mostly. His big concern is, well, you know, it goes with the market. So if you, you, you want to, you know, rise and fall with the stock market, go ahead and do that. But I mean, the same thing is said. I mean, the same thing applies to mutual mutual funds and things like that. Um, and I mean, yeah, ETFs come with costs, but, you know, mutual funds come with costs. They have a much larger buy-in than mutual funds for the most part. You can invest as little as a dollar in a mutual fund. Um, yeah, you, you can. Whereas I think for, I'm sorry, with, with an ETF, you can you can get into an ETF for as little as a dollar on most apps. Whereas with a mutual fund um, through your bank or brokerage, it's usually going to be like 500 bucks. Uh, it, it's a bit harder. Um, and even though ETFs don't offer the professional management that mutual funds do, that doesn't mean that they, you know, they don't go through um, reviews by their board and, and by the people who are picking and choosing what goes into that basket. And while it's usually managed by computers for the most part, I mean, really, that's what a majority of mutual funds are they're just glorified ETFs? I mean, I wouldn't say that because they're actively managed more so than an ETF that mutual funds are necessarily better on that. I get uh, I do better with some ETFs than my 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 one mutual fund that I have. So I mean, th- those are just some of my concerns. I, I don't you know I think his biggest thing goes back to behavior and impulse control. You're more likely to sell all your ETFs than you are to you know cash out on your mutual fund. So. That's just my thing. And I mean, I love ETFs. I, I own a ton of ETFs. My favorite ETF is uh, OUSA, OShares, uh, Kevin O'Leary's ETF. Um, it's one of them, but that's his. That, that's like his gold standard one. And I love OUSA. And I'm exposed to others, but that one's my favorite. And, um, you know, I'd, I'd, sell my mutu- I'd sell my one mutual fund uh, before I, I sell any of my OUSA shares. I'll tell you that. So she continues, here's the problem. ETFs can also be invested in for the long time, like I mentioned. While you have the option of trading them like stocks, you don't have to. You can keep them in your portfolio for decades. And there are a huge number of different ETFs, many of which also give you the chance to try to outperform the market. I think all but maybe a couple of my ETFs outperform. I, I sold off my uh, my DFEN 
ETF stocks because it was highly leveraged and uh, it, it had a terrible rate of return and the dividend was, I mean, you know, it was not paying off well. So it was, you know, the, the juice wasn't worth the squeeze on that. Uh, so not all ETFs are equal. Not, not all of them are. You got to understand. Uh, you know, one reason I like Motley Fool is because I buy into their the, the Motley Fool um, ETF. They've got one. Uh, TMFC, I think, is the is is the ticker. I could be wrong about that, but you know, I, I like Motley Fool because Motley Fool has a great uh, track record. It's got good growth. It stays at pretty reasonable, um, you know, price per share, and you know, it's got a reliable dividend. I think it comes once a year. So I mean, I I be, these guys know what they're talking about. So much so that I trust them. I put my money into their ETF. But anyway, um, she continues. You don't have to invest in an ETF that just tracks the S&P 500. You could choose a growth ETF, a dividend ETF, or even ETFs that track specific industries or sectors such as marijuana, such as the marijuana industry or the uh, healthcare industry. I, I invest in. Uh, I think it's. I think it's THC. I don't know if that's. A, I don't know if that's ticker number, but it's called the cannabis. I invest in the cannabis ETF, which is an ETF that takes uh, a little bit of shares from all the publicly traded um, cannabis and uh, marijuana companies that are legal in North America, and it also pays a dividend. So I, I invest in the whole broad market uh, marijuana sector. Um, she continues, so mutual funds don't actually have these two advantages over ETFs. Ramsey's right about one thing, though. Mutual funds do typically cost more than ETFs do. These extra fees can really add up when saving over many decades for retirement, and there's little reason to pay them. Over time, history has shown that passively managed funds tend to outperform actively managed funds, um, which is why I mentioned some of my ETFs do much better than my, my other mutual fund. Um, especially after taking fees into account. Without any clear benefit to mutual fund investing, Ramsey's advice that you pay more to put your money into them instead of choosing cheaper ETFs could end up needlessly costing you thousands in added fees over your investing career. Here's the thing. When you buy an ETF, like OUSA, for example, OUSA has higher fees compared to most ETFs. That's the one thing people complain about. Um, but the thing is, it's factored into the cost of the share you buy. So here for like these commission free platforms like Robinhood, Webull, here's what happens. How they make money is that they put like an extra few cents on the the on top of the stock you're buying when you put in you know, the order and that's how they're making their money. That's how they're generating their profit. So when you're paying for one share of OUSA or another ETF, a little bit of it goes to the broker, you know, Robinhood, Webull, um, who are facilitating the buy, and then some of it goes to who manages the ETF. So it's Kevin O'Leary's uh, company who manages all the uh, O'Shares ETFs. And um, that's how they make money. And what they do is they do that and they reinvest it into staff, into research, into resources, into getting more exposure to other things and buying in. And then you just reinvest the dividends. So, I mean, yeah, you're, you're paying, quote, the fees, but they're not taking just so much off the top from your general gains over time, like with a mutual fund. So in many ways, I would say that ETFs are better in, in that regard. I would much rather just pay it up front than have to, you know, see how much is taken long term, especially depending on your your brokerage. I mean, I, I use T Rowe Price and Vanguard. I'm very happy with them. 
Uh, you know, I, I use Victory Capital Management for one, and I, I don't quite know what what the fee was there um, because originally it was through uh, th- through the bank I use. Uh, they they outsource their investing wing to uh, VCM, so like I, I haven't seen that yet. But uh, I can tell you what I like. I like. I would rather just pay in up front than have to see it later, and maybe it changes. So you know, ETFs I, I think are fantastic. I love them. Uh, without any clear. Oh yeah, so we read that. Okay, so two, you can earn twelve percent average annual return. Most of the time, I mean, he's saying ten percent, so maybe it's twelve percent. Maybe I was wrong. Uh, Ramsey promises it's possible to earn a twelve percent average annual return on investments. I think you can earn more. I, I mentioned earlier, I got between 20 and 25% returns on some of my investments, and I'm not a genius. So, I mean, most of the time, if you just track, if you just do something that's going to track the S&P 500 at minimum 10%, but it's way more possible to get more than that. I mean, it, it really is. Uh, but Ramsey promises it's possible to earn a 12% average annual return on investments. But if you listen to this advice, you're very likely to have major shortfalls when it comes to when it comes time to retire. Ramsey's 12% reality is based on the simple average returns of the S&P 500, which he reports as 11.64% from 1928 to 2020. Uh, the problem is simple average returns aren't the most accurate way to measure how your investments perform. Here's why. Say you invested 5000 and your investment went up 20% in the first year and down 20% the next year. Your average return is 0% since your investment went up and down by the same percentage. But you don't actually end up with $5,000 at the end of year two. Your 20% gain after year one left you of 6000 But when you lose 20% off 6000 or 1200 you could end up with 4800 by the end of year two. Your actual ROI is negative 4%, not zero. As you can see, using simple average returns isn't going to paint a very realistic picture of how your investment is likely to perform. Instead, you need to use compound annual growth rate. I, I... need to look more into that, uh, which shows a more realistic 10% average S&P 500 return from 1928 to 2020. Um, and, and before I get to the last paragraph of this one, I, I, can, I can also just state like there are mutual funds out there and I'm not gonna, I'm sorry, there are ETFs out there and I'm not going to tell you which ones they are. There are single stocks for companies out there and I'm not going to tell you those either, that when I did my research, they always outperformed the S&P 500. Two of those I can tell you because they're owned and constantly reinvested into by the king of finance, the king of investing, Warren Buffett, Coca-Cola, and McDonald's. That's all I'll say. They, they do exist. There are ETFs and, and you know, single-traded stocks that do outperform the S&P 500. You don't always just have to stick to that as a measure. But anyway, uh, overestimating expected returns by almost 2% is really damaging, especially when you're talking about retirement planning over several decades. You're going to be left with a lot less money than you expected if you follow this Ramsey advice. So, you know, just just keep that in mind. And three, you should pay off all non-mortgage debt before investing for retirement. You should pay off all non-mortgage. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely believe that. If, If you don't, like, here's the thing. Like, if you don't have cash... 
because you're drowning in debt, your debt's going to be the number one inhibitor from you growing your wealth. So I, I would, I, from the offset, just reading this, this subtitle, I would, I would disagree with that. I think you should absolutely pay off all your non-mortgage debt before investing for retirement. You, you got to invest as much as you can when you don't have to worry about the debt and you have your um, emergency savings of three to six months. So she continues, Ramsey argues you should do all the following things before investing for retirement. Pay off all your debt except your home mortgage. Save an emergency fund that covers three to six months of living expenses. Here's the problem. This could take years. During all that time, you'd be missing out on employer 401k matches, which are literally free money. Okay, right there, I can tell you she's wrong. Because what Ramsey has always said was take your employer up on their matching contribution for a 401k if it's offered, that's fine. Just don't take any more from that. And because it's automatically taken out of your paycheck when you get paid, just you just have to look at what you're bringing home. You're you're, you're gross. So, um, you know, I'm sorry, you're net. Uh, what, what you actually brought home. So uh, that that's incorrect. He he says take advantage of that, but don't don't invest much more. Don't buy things. Pay off the debt. Because the faster you pay off the debt, even though it may take years, you're gonna you're gonna do better overall. So she's incorrect on that. Um, from from a factual point, Ramsey doesn't say don't contribute to your employer's matching 401k amount if it's offered. And secondly, like you, you should pay off the debt because even if you're investing and you're doing that, like you're you're still not growing money because you're still paying off the debt. And sometimes the debt accrues interest. So if you've got more debt that's accumulating a higher interest, which just means more debt, it doesn't matter how much you're investing. It, it's just it's just more of your money that's going away. So I, I automatically don't agree with this one. Um, You'd also be missing out on tax subsidies for investing. In, okay, oh, she, it's just wrong. I'm not going to read this paragraph. You can go back and read this one um, because um, yeah, it's just it, it's just incorrect. I can tell you that 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 last paragraph is just not factual. It's incorrect. It's wrong. Um, so anyway, at the end of this, instead of listening to this Ramsey retirement planning advice, make retirement investing a priority, set realistic expectations for your ROI, and focus on historic returns and fees when choosing investments, which usually means picking ETFs over mutual funds. If you do, you'll likely end off a lot better. So she got a lot wrong. She got, I mean, sorry, she got a lot right. She got like 90% right, but it's that last portion where it was just factually incorrect. That's, that's wrong. So overall, um, you know, wh- whether you love Dave Ramsey or not, what I'm hoping is that you'll really go with what, what I think is not controversial advice, but will ultimately help out everyone, which is you got to have multiple streams of cash flow, whether it's an extra $100 a month or an extra $1,000 a month, whether it's driving for Uber or whether it's freelancing otherwise or starting a business or creating a project where you're getting revenue and royalties from that, you got to have cash flow. Uh, secondly, you got to get out of debt. Debt is going to kill you. I've been very lucky because I joined the military out of high school. I didn't have to pay uh, for student loans to go to college. And even when I was broke, I still avoided credit cards. So the most problem I had was the fact that I just had no money. So getting out of debt is key. Um, secondly, I can tell you someone that's been unemployed during the worst markets ever, it's never good to not have money coming in, but it always felt good to have a three, six month safety net. I lean on the more um, conservative side. I think six months is uh, is the perfect amount. It'll definitely give you that peace of mind. Um, and lastly, like, you know, keep, keeping your investments varied, keeping your investments in a lot of different things to give you that extra exposure to protect your money and also uh, earn wealth is great. 
I invest in a lot of different things, as I've told you throughout this, and uh, I think I'm doing pretty well because I've got all the bases covered. And uh, I'm not a millionaire, but you know, for longtime listeners, you know that my goal is to early retire by 38, so that way I can work for the causes I really want to work to, regardless of money, because I know I have the money. And I'm doing this really for my 60, 70-year-old self in the future because I want that version of me to live an amazing rest of my life. So hope you enjoy this. All in all, I listen to Dave Ramsey regularly. I love Ramsey Solutions. I think he's right almost all the issues except some of the ones that we discussed today. Uh, hope you enjoyed this. Hope you valued it. If you want to have a conversation, please go ahead and tweet at me. Hey, Remso. You can subscribe to my newsletter where I talk about this and other news. We've been doing a lot of crypto stuff recently. And, uh, you know, how the, how the mandates and everything else going off COVID can affect your money. That's at remso.substack.com. As always, thanks again, folks. Be safe. Be good. And I'll talk to you later.